This is episode number two in a series of three podcasts about my autism turnaround journey. And this episode is taking you back in time, back to who I was before I even got pregnant. Who was this girl who turned into that woman who created autism? And I'm not saying that to shame myself or anybody else. I'm I'm talking about this. I'm taking you back in time because I feel it's important in order to understand the big picture of why autism happens and also of how we can prevent autism from happening by getting to know ourselves better earlier in life. So I've also tried, you know, to create a um, a script for this podcast and I've decided against it. So I'm here in my sofa with my tea and my photo album again <laughs> from my past. And this is also going to be a new way of doing podcasts for me because I don't want it to be scripted. I want this to be like a conversation we have where you sit with me in my sofa and we talk. We talk about the things we don't normally share. We talk about the things that have been painful in life as well. But I want my podcast, especially my solo episodes, but preferably also the the interviews that I'm doing, to be more like a heart-to-heart conversation than a professional scripted teaching. Not every time, anyway. So I want to take you back in time to the 70s where I was born. And I grew up in a family where relationships were tricky. I was a very skinny girl, a very, very skinny girl, very fragile girl. And uh, my mom had always had a very strange relationship to intimacy and her own body probably as well. I loved my grandmom and I also learned from her because I spent a lot of time with my grandmom and I had a lot of my childhood I spent with her and my granddad, which was a bit unfortunate and I'll tell you why in a second, but Um, In that family and from my grandmother, we learned that the body is to be ignored. Secrets are to be hidden. We don't talk about things that are uncomfortable or embarrassing. We don't talk about the truth. And if we don't tell the truth, it's like it never happened. So the most important thing was to keep the facade, to be very uh, um, conscious of what the neighbors perceived us as perfect you know we we wanted the neighbors to perceive us as perfect and there was a lot of acting pretending and hiding and secrecy in the family and I now know why I didn't understand for many many years until I started to unscramble what had actually happened to me um, I don't know what's happened to my mom and her siblings but I just know that my granddad he was abusing me and of course it had a profound effect on me and my ability to trust my relationship to my own body 
And I don't remember a time uh, where I didn't hate my body. And I also remember never really going to the toilet. Always remember being embarrassed about going to the toilet and the smell of it and being uncomfortable in my own skin and feeling unsafe in in my family because I felt that the truth was never welcome and I wasn't protected by those who were supposed to protect me. And I don't think that my grandmom and my mom knew what was going on. I'm actually, I'm sure they don't, don't know. They didn't know. But my mom chose a relationship to a guy that was very emotionally abusive as well. So I grew up in a very uh, um, verbally abusive and sometimes physically abusive home with a lot of fighting, a lot of drama and a lot of conflict when my dad moved out and my mom found a new man and had two children by him. So my relationship to my body and the distance that I learned I learned to to check out and distance myself from my body and from pain. And I learned very early on that you are alone. You have to be the adult and you have to take care of yourself. And you cannot trust and love the people that you are supposed to trust and love because it's not safe. Because my mom did not have the strength to protect me from my stepfather. And she eventually ended up choosing to basically asked me to move out and stay with him and my siblings. And for many years, I actually didn't really hear from her. And that was in my teenage years. So as you can imagine, feeling safe was something that I did not learn, really. And I always felt ugly. So I moved away at a very early age. And I went through college and later on university and I remember the fear the loneliness and the anxiety of abandonment it was like a friend that walked with me all throughout my life and I also remember um, my eating habits being very very bad from the beginning because I didn't know anything about cooking and didn't know how to take care of myself so I started smoking very early on and I ate junk food and I basically lived from candy. I didn't have much money. I was on, um, I was on benefits from the state, actually, by, at that time back in Denmark when I lived there. And a very kind lady took me in and I lived with her when I went through college uh, until I was about 19. And I lived with her and her family. So I didn't really see my mom. I didn't see my dad much. Um, in the years that came, and I've, I, I was just a lonely girl. What happened next was that I realized that I had something that could give me power. I had something that could give me a sense of worth, and it was something that I hung on to for a long time until it was taken away from me because of my lifestyle. And that something was the way I looked 
it was something that I realized by coincidence because I started noticing when I was about 15, 16 that men were looking at me. I was a very skinny girl and a pretty girl, long hair and perfect, perfect body. Um, and that that sense of worth from getting that acknowledgement was something that I mistook for love, I think. Or I used it as a replacement for the safety and the love that was always something that I longed for deep within me because I had this sense of worthlessness because I wasn't even worthy enough to deserve my own mom's love and protection. So um, I... I used that look and that attraction, that 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 fascination that I had, that effect that I had on men, to have to get boyfriends, to stay with their families, and that was the way that I got a sense of safety temporarily because I was always afraid of losing the boyfriend or losing the home or losing the connection to their parents all the way throughout my teenage years, all the way throughout my 20s, until I found my husband. And we'll get to that. So I went from one unhealthy relationship to the other because I was always afraid. I always hated my body. I always felt anxious and I was very needy and clingy because I I didn't feel worthy. So no matter how much they loved me and appreciated me, no matter how well they treated me, I never believed them. And so it was almost like I went from pretty normal, stable relationships to increasingly more dysfunctional relationships, partially created by me and my drama, so that I could recreate the dysfunctional familiarity that I that was all I knew. All I knew was unsafe drama, arguments, rejection, not being worthy and not feeling worthy. I had no no training in what it feels like to love and be in a healthy relationship. And so I continued that dysfunctional way of relating to men throughout my life. At the age of 19, I was accepted into university. I became a model. I had a a form of grant, like a scholarship that was granted to me because of my past and because of the sexual abuse combined with a talent that I'd shown in school for communication and language and and, um, writing skills. So I was under government. I was paid by the government. I went to university for a couple of years and then I was accepted into a very prestigious prestigious journalism school. And I started to combine this very superficial sense of validation from the way that I look with trying to get a sense of validation and feeling worthy to be in this world by performing in my education and in uh, later on in my job. I must say that in school I did not do well. I did not get good grades in, in, um, in school, not before I went to that journalism school and university. Um, 
because I was always so stressed. I remember always being constipated as well. I remember only going to the toilet maybe once or twice per week, always holding it in. And I remember that I started to really smell bad very early on because of this constipation. I had very bad breath. I was always constipated and I was congested. So I had a hard time breathing at night. And in my teenage years, I also had a lot of acne and it followed me throughout my my 20s and 30s, actually. But I was still very skinny. No matter what I ate, I did not gain weight yet. That came on later. Trust me, we'll get to that. But I was really abusing my body. I smoked, drank way too much alcohol, and I partied too much. Did, um, at, at a certain time, I did experiment with everything that you could experiment with. I'm not going to talk anymore about that, but, but I was really, really experiencing how my body was just deteriorating. I still looked good on the outside, but on the inside, I felt like I was aging. I was breaking down even from the age of 19. I smoked about 20 cigarettes per day, drank coffee, alcohol, and then my diet was basically candy, maybe a bit of pizza, maybe some bread and cereal every once in a while, but my insides were not pretty at all. And the relationships that I got into at this time was with unavailable men. And we had, we had one thing in common. And that thing was none of us really liked me. None of us really saw me. None of us really appreciated me. So they were unavailable emotionally. And uh, they didn't really love me. And that was something that fit my dysfunctional pattern. So I went into increasingly unhealthy relationships with with men that I didn't love, men that did not love me. And the anxiety of them leaving me was excruciating because I was so afraid of being alone. That was my main thing all the way through. I would rather be in dysfunctional relationships with men that didn't love me, men that I did not love, than being alone. Because as a human being... Being alone, being rejected by the tribe, by the family, by your mother, that is equivalent, the equivalent of being thrown at the wolves, being in danger and die. Risk, die the risk of dying is just overwhelming because that's what happens in nature. If, if mother rejects you and the tribe rejects you, you'll be eaten by wild animals. And that fear sat with me forever. So I was anxious. I was scared. I created drama. I created um, fake jealousy. And I just remember being so overwhelmed emotionally and so stressed and so depressed and so anxious that I often felt like life wasn't worth living. And I moved in with a couple of guys and I drove them crazy and I was very unfaithful at the time because I had no moral standards. And every time someone wanted to give me attention, I felt like that gave me some sort of power. Now, it didn't mean that I had a lot of different relationships because I think in total I've been with about 10 to 12 men in the whole of my life because I did not really like to be close to anybody. But the men that I was with, I was always 
unfaithful to until I met my husband because I could not commit. I I was addicted to pain and I was addicted to causing pain and I think deep down inside I also had this incredible rage against men from the fact that my own grandfather abused me. My father left me and my stepfather was ver- verbally abusive and sometimes physically abusive because he was an alcoholic. And then I just kept on going, um, went into journalism school, smoked a lot, worked a lot, didn't really sleep, still constipated, still very, very, very tired. I could sit in the bus going to the university and fall asleep. I would fall asleep during lessons. I would be tired no matter how much I slept, always, always super exhausted. And I thought that's just the way it is as well as the smell, the body odor, the bad breath, the constipation, all those things, and then my mental instability, my depression and anxiety, which I hadn't linked to anything biochemical, and that was something that I didn't understand until way after I turned my son's autism around, so way after I became a mom. But I was accepted into this journalism school, and it was a shift for me, because it was a very prestigious job and a very prestigious internship. I was in national news. I was working with the top reporters in my country at the time. And I was getting attention from real quality men, intellectual men, men that I had looked up to all my life, men that I had watched on TV all my life. But many of them were incredibly unfaithful and they... They uh, they hit on me, even though they were married. And I was with one of them, even though he was married. And it just increased my disrespect for men and my firm belief that no man can be trusted. Every man is a crook. Every man is going to hurt <laughs> the woman that he's with. And so I stayed ice cold and I had my heart fenced in behind the most incredibly protected iron fence. And I was never going to let anybody hurt me again. That was my belief. So um, went to journalism school. At the time, I lived with some American dude who was a musician. And he was a drug addict. He was a total loser. And... Um, I broke up with him when he became physically violent towards me at the end of our relationship. And then I decided I'm not going to have anything to do with men anymore. So I went into a complete celibacy at that time. And I decided I would not let anybody into my life or close to my heart or anything. So I was just focusing on my job. That training was about four years. And then I was certified as a journalist after those four years. But during those four years, I was single. I didn't let anybody close. And I was just focusing on the few friendships that I managed to have because I had such a terrible relationship to myself and my body and I had no self-worth. So even trusting and believing in the fact that my friends, my close girlfriends could love and like me and would continue to love and like me was something that I couldn't take in, I couldn't take on board. And I was so distanced, distanced from my body. I felt like my body was living 
a life that was separate to me. I could not feel my body because I had checked out from my body. I had distanced myself from my body, numbed myself out in order to not feel the pain of losing my family, losing my mom, losing my home at such an early age. I had been grieving that rejection for years and years. And I didn't tell you that in the beginning. I was just crying, I think maybe three to four years in a row every single day when my mom, when, it, when I realized my mom's not going to divorce him. She's going to basically divorce me and ask me to move out instead of getting rid of the man that was nice to me. But after that, I checked out, I numbed out, and I couldn't feel my body. So even sleeping with my girlfriends, I couldn't sleep at night because I was so congested and constipated, and I was so scared that I would have to fart in the night because I always did because I was so incredibly unhealthy. And I didn't want to go to the toilet when I was with my girlfriends because it did not, it smelled awful because I was so un incredibly unhealthy. I never ate healthy foods. I wasn't interested in exercising. I wasn't interested in food at all. So it was just something on the go, like a sandwich or a, a, um, a candy bar, something like that. But I was still skinny. And that was the only yardstick The only measuring point I had was, well, I'm still skinny, so I'm just going to eat whatever I want because I'm. that was my measuring point, my, my yardstick. And I worked as a model in the beginning of those years, so when I was about 19 and a couple of years from then, uh, while I was taking my education, and I hated it because I felt so ugly. I mean, seriously, I was so beautiful when I look at the pictures now back then, but I was never satisfied. I felt too skinny, I felt too ugly, I felt too clumsy, I felt that my knees were just looking awful, and I just hated every second of it. I didn't want people to look at me, I didn't like being photographed, I didn't like, I didn't like it at all. So I quit that job, and I continued the partying, continued to eat this crappy food all throughout my education at journalism school, which was four years. And at the between the age of 26, no, 25 and 26, it was like my body just said, okay, woman, I've had it with you. I have been here for you all these years. I've kept you fit. I've tried to clear out all these toxins. I've had my hopes high up for you, you know. I've taken care of you, girl. I can't do this anymore. And it was like literally from one day to the other, I started piling on the pounds. It was like I could see myself growing and I bulged. I became big. My arms became big and fluffy and I had water retention and my skin started to look bad. In fact, Once I remember, because it, it took a while for me to adjust to the fact that I was actually really gaining weight and I was the way that I looked changed dramatically. And so, um, I actually I'm jumping a little bit because this happened right after I met my ex-husband, Morden, who later became the father of my two children, When I met him, he came, he came from a normal family. He was a normal guy. 
he really, really loved me. And actually, I met him at the first year of journalism school, and he kept loving me and chasing me year one, year two, year three, and I just rejected him, rejected him, rejected him, because I did not want healthy love. I didn't know what it was. I didn't trust in love. I didn't want anything to do with it. So I rejected him, him and rejected him and rejected him until then finally one day I decided, okay, I'm going to give it a chance. This guy is really, really loving me. I want to experience healthy love. I want to fall in love. I want a family. I want a real life. I want normality. And he became my safety. He also saved me from all the partying and all the wildlife. And he said, stop doing it. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I could really, truly relax. Now, <laughs> looking back, this is many, many years ago, and we've been divorced for nine years now, I think it is. Um, I was not feeling safe and relaxed. But compared to the constant stress, fight and flight that I'd always been in, I felt safe with him. I knew his love was genuine because he had been chasing me for so long. And I could see and feel his love. But as soon as I met him, maybe it was my body just giving in. Maybe it was just my body reaching threshold. Maybe it was just the last drop of me just abusing my body and not taking good care of my body, not moving, not giving it any vegetables or berries or nutritious food or rest or any positive thoughts or anything like that. But I started to gain weight massively, like massively. I think um, 10 kilos within the first year. I went from being the hottest chick in the class to the... I looked like, like a 50-year-old. I cut off all my hair, and it was almost like I tested him. Okay, let's see if you really love me. Now I'm going to make myself ugly as well. I did not want to have to look good. I did not, you know, it was a real shock for me to go from skinny, being able to eat everything I want, wanted to become increasingly fat and having to suck in my stomach and whenever I was you know I tried on clothes that I used to look good in and everything was just bulking and fat just falling out everywhere and then I did not want to try and lose weight I just didn't want to try and lose weight I was lazy I was tired I, I felt like I was tired from a whole life of stress and anxiety I just wanted to relax. So when he asked me to marry him, and he asked me if I wanted to have a child with him, and he asked me to, to let go of the pills so that I could get pregnant, I was so unused to and unaccustomed to actually feeling into my body, checking in with myself, and, and understanding what I wanted. Because I had always been in fight and flight. I had always been on the run. I had never enjoyed life and so asking myself what I really wanted was completely foreign to me so I just wanted to do what made him happy so I actually didn't really think much about it I just said yes let's do it and I just dropped the pill 
and I got pregnant very quickly. Now, the reason why I'm telling you this is, for me, this is a big piece of the puzzle when it comes to investigating what happened. Why did autism happen to my child a couple of years later? What kind of a body was it that I created him in? What kind of a body was it that had been drinking, smoking, partying, experimenting with all the things that I don't want to mention on a public podcast, never sleeping, extremely poor detoxification process, living in the city, stressed all my life in a way that's damaging to my cells, damaging to my nervous system, damaging to my hormonal system. I probably already at that time had mitochondrial issues, liver issues, detoxification issues. I did not know at the time that I was undermethylated. I didn't know that I was probably already at that time in severe copper overload and an imbalance between zinc and copper. So I was zinc deficient. I was B6 deficient. I didn't know this. Um, I was a toxic woman inside and out, holistically toxic emotionally toxic, completely traumatized, like someone, like a war veteran coming out from the jungle straight into pregnancy. So I had gunshot wounds emotionally and I was just damaged in every way. And I had no nutritional bank to pull from, to create a baby from. I had lived my whole life with continuous infections like urinary tract infections, bladder infections, skin infections. And I was just on medication all the time. I had fungus all the time. I was on medication for fungus all the time. I had acne. I used all the toxic beauty products. And I had smoked all my life, basically, or since I was 15 And so there was nothing there to build a baby, a healthy baby from. And I feel extreme guilt towards my child. And I also feel extreme gratitude that he chose to incarnate in this life with me as his mother. Because that is not, that's a challenge. He chose a hard one. He chose a hard journey to come into my body and live through the healing process with me. Someone so immature, so unaccustomed to love, unaccustomed to self-nourishment and self-parenting, that he had to teach me everything. And I believe that's part, a huge part of the story and the pieces of the puzzle that then led to autism later on. And sure, I could say, well, it was the doctor's fault, or it was the inoculation's fault, or it was um, the nurse telling me to quit breastfeeding when he was four years, four months old, as you could hear in episode number one. But I don't believe that's the full picture. I believe a big part of this was who I was many years before I ever got pregnant. The distance, the numbing out the detachment from my body, the unloving, unnurturing and unnourishing way that I handled being in this life and and the way that I treated my body and my soul. I had so much healing to do through becoming a mother. 
and getting being pregnant i did not relate to my body do you think someone who's detached from her body all her life all of a sudden becomes someone who's tuned into her body tuned into her baby just because she's pregnant no i went into pregnancy with the same lack of body awareness with the same lack of contact to my inner child and and that that lack of content text contact and that lack of maturity and presence he had to live through so when i got pregnant i thought hey great i don't have to suck in my belly i can just eat everything i want and i did so i ate candy and i continued that standard american standard scandinavian uk diet cereal white bread i wasn't afraid to drink coca-cola i didn't drink any alcohol of course i didn't smoke or anything but there was nothing for him there it was not like i was eating nutritious nutrient dense food all throughout my pregnancy i had candy i had pizzas i had normal crappy foods because i had no conscious about health back then So I gained a lot of weight and I was incredibly tired during pregnancy and all I did was eat and watch TV I didn't even move much and it was in 1990 between 98 and 99 he was born in July 99 and the the birth was extremely complicated and I was in this hospital and I remember this feeling of my body just taking over and i remember the trauma of no longer being able to control neglect my body like i've done i had done all my life not being able to do that anymore because the body took over there was a huge shock to me and it was part of my wake up call that later on as you can hear in episode 1 and episode 3 led to the autism turnaround which was also my healing process my healing of my body healing of my inner child healing of my physical body and my soul and my heart but that fear that i experienced when my body took over and showed me that i had no control was a huge shock to my system the pain was a huge shock to my system the complication of the birth was a huge shock to my system the child that came out and he was so skinny and so basically malnourished because my um, placenta didn't have any nourishment for him left um he was wrinkled he was tiny 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 he didn't look healthy at all and he had this cleft palate palate and he was born with a gene deficiency and all of this had happened inside me while i was pregnant it was not something that he had inherited from me it was a defect that happened inside me because of the environment that he was created and i'm not saying this again to shame myself i'm not saying this to shame other mothers and say oh you just you just shitty parents because you've eaten a shitty diet so now you've created an autistic child shame on you 
I'm saying this because I feel we need to create more consciousness around the environment, our emotional life, our inner life, and our connection to our body or lack of, our soul journey when it comes to creating autism and when it comes to healing and turning autism around. Because I don't think we can create autism in a healthy environment and in a healthy body just as I don't think we can turn autism around in the same toxic body and the same toxic environment, including emotional environment, including the connection to your purpose, soul and, and heart. We can't turn that around unless we change the environment. So it is a full spectrum crisis that happens many years before we ever get pregnant that creates autism and it's a full spectrum healing that starts in every aspect when we receive that diagnosis we need to look at what trauma did i bring into my pregnancy how has my childhood and my younger years and my adult years created a environment that has been challenging for my child what kind of a person did I become? What kind of a baby did I create from my lack of maturity or my lack of understanding, my lack of nutrition, my lack of love for myself, my lack of self-parenting? And how can I use all these pieces of the puzzle to collect all these pieces, pieces of the puzzle to create a healing pattern for myself? a deeper understanding and a forgiveness process for myself in order to heal and turn autism around. And when I had my baby in my arms and I was lying there completely exhausted and broken, basically, physically, emotionally, and on a soul level, and I had to learn everything from scratch from the day that he was born, the hard way, because my life always had been hard. He came in to show me back to love, to show me back to care, to show me back to the truth, to open that heart that I had hidden behind iron fence doors, to return me back to the nature that I had rejected to the food that I knew that I needed, but I hadn't allowed myself to, to be nourished by. He was there to wake up my soul, wake up my inner child, wake up my consciousness in order to heal myself so that I could turn him around. So I am extremely grateful that he chose such a damaged soul and such a damaged body to come into this world because the healing journey that I experienced through him was so profound, was so mystical, was so sacred. And it created a story that I wrote a book about, so shocking and transformational that it inspired moms all over Scandinavia and now all over the world, the process that I went through because the, the way that I deal with autism today, the way that I inspire moms today, the way that I walk other moms 
through the process of turning autism around is by going to the mom and invite, inviting her into that healing process for herself by starting with understanding who did you become for this to happen to you? How did you initiate? How did you... Because every single mom with a child with autism has been chosen, initiated into this healing process. And every mom with a child with autism, she's been chosen to heal collectively by healing herself, to inspire other moms to, to turn their child around by her healing herself first and then be strong enough to turn her child around. And that's why my journey and my, my turnaround process starts with the mom, starts with her changing her mindset, her healing her inner child and understanding the trauma and the unexpressed emotions and the distance that she has created to her own soul and body and mother nature and walk with her as she returns to her physical body and reunites with it and creates a temple in that body for her soul to live and for her inner child to live so that she can turn her child's autism around. Because the child is always guiding that inner child within you to finally be seen, fed, heard, nourished, loved, held. So all of these words just to say that this journey is your journey and you have infinite healing capacity but only when you start with your own journey and that is why unscrambling your past unscrambling your body's journey unscrambling your trauma unscrambling the the emotions that are blocked within your system getting back to a state in your nervous system where you can heal and you can breathe and you can be calm and you can understand and you can tune into your intuition is the only way to turn autism around. If we start from the perspective that this child has been damaged by the system and I need to blame the system and I need to fix that child and you totally forget about yourself, your inner child, your fight and flight mechanism, your stress and your self-protective mechanisms will sabotage your attempt to get your child to a better place without you even knowing it. Because unless you unscramble this, unless you unscramble your own journey and your own trauma and your own stress, your body will be in a constant state of fight and flight. And when you're in a state of fight and flight, you cannot heal yourself and you cannot heal your child because your child will feed on that stress and will not be able to heal because the child will breathe like you. Your child's nervous system will feed off the energy from your nervous system. And when you're in a state of fight and flight, anything that has to do with change, anything that has to do with massive transformation will feel like a threat to you. So unless you get your nervous system to a peaceful place first, you will subconsciously, because you're such a survivor and you're so intelligent, work against your child's healing process without even knowing it. 
And there are some biological factors that play in as well. Some bio-individuality, some epigenetics for sure that play into this as well. There are some mental issues that we have in common with our children. And I'm going to cover that in episode number three, which will be all about my final healing process. Me getting a divorce, me finding my soulmate, the, the years after autism and the teenage years and the rebel phases and how our life turned out to be another amazing journey after recovering autism. So you can listen to that in episode number three. But I just want to say, you've been chosen for this. You can do this. You've got work to do, but the journey of healing yourself in order to, to turn your child's autism around or anything in life around is going to be the most important journey that you have ever taken on, that you've ever started. And I promise you, you will not be the same person on the other side. But we need to face our own stake in this. We need to face our own part in this beautiful sacred contract that we have with our child. Thank you so much for being in my life, for being in my sofa, for listening to me, for listening to yourself and for being pulled into this work, because this is the opposite of being pushed into treatments and protocols and, and gurus and experts. This is your soul being pulled towards a truth that you already have within you. So if any of this resonates with you, please tune in to episode number three. And if you want to learn more about this process that I'm talking about, go to barefootautismwarriors.com and go and check out my free course, and other podcast episodes and my Facebook group, the barefootautismwarriors.com. So barefootautismwarriors.com is a free Facebook group on, group on Facebook. Unless it's been censured away when, we, when you're listening to this episode, we don't know if I will be silenced there because my viewpoints are alternative as well. But you'll always be able to find me at the website barefootautismwarriors.com. Sign up for the newsletter or for the free three-step course because then you'll hear from me every week as well so we are in this together and we can do this and i cannot wait to share the final episode number three about the years after autism thank you for being here <laughs>